Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. Certain artists are perfectionists at heart. And if you want something done right, do it yourself. Today we'll talk about our favorite one-person bands. Artists who insist on playing every instrument, singing all the vocals, and writing all the lyrics. We'll also review new releases from songwriter Randy Newman and Rhode Island punk rockers Downtown Boys. Then Greg will play a tune from the Desert Island Jukebox. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and that was Randy Newman with uh, Putin, a song from his 11th studio album, Dark Matter. Uh, Putin was released as a digital single uh, right around election time uh, in 2016. Mm -hmm. It appears on Randy Newman's first album in eight years, Jim. The relevance of that song has not gone away. Now, when we talk about Randy Newman, I think the first thing that comes to a lot of people's mind is, isn't that the guy who wrote Short People? And, <laughs> you know, that's going to be on his obituary. It's somewhere going to be in the first or second paragraph. Well, it depends you know? what generation you're from, yeah. <laughs> Greg, because those of us who were parents sat through many viewings of Toy Story and Toy well, Story 2. there's part two of this. I think uh, Randy Newman's by far had his biggest success as a writer of film scores. He started out with Ragtime, worked his way through The Natural, Meet the Parents, Seabiscuit, some really classy movies, and eight Disney Pixar animated films. Uh, Amazing run of scores for which he has won two Oscars for Best Original Song, three Emmys, and six Grammys. His pop songwriting career uh, has not nearly been as uh, commercially acclaimed, but there's way more to this guy than short people. 11 studio albums since 1968, uh, populated with these ever-present, unreliable narrators, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he has made some masterpieces. Now we have studio album number 11, Dark Matter. Here's a track from it called Sunny Boy by Randy Newman on Sound Opinions. My name is Sunny Boy Williamson I come from Jackson, Tennessee I run up with them 
That is Sonny Boy by Randy Newman from his first album in almost a decade, Dark Matter. Greg, he's paying tribute to Sonny Boy Williamson. Uh, elsewhere on the record, he uh, he evokes the name Celia Cruz. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't love Celia Cruz? But Randy does it in a particularly Randy-esque way. He is imagining in the song Brothers, uh, John F. Kennedy and his brother Robert launching the Bay of Pigs invasion <laughs> to save the great Cuban singer. Wait a minute, Bobby. There's a woman there in Cuba whom I love. Oh, no, Jack. Not in a bad way, but a good way. Do you know any Cuban music bar? Does I love Lucy Cam? Of course it does. Um, look, I'm sorry. I'm going to say this. I admire and respect Randy Newman. I just don't want to listen to him, Greg. Um, He's fine in Toy Story. My daughter will never forgive me if I don't say how wonderful When She Loved Me was in Toy Story 2. That's as good as a weepy, weeper ballad gets, all right? But man, you know, Randy Newman's chosen genre... Uh, I've been trying to peg it nonstop since I started listening to this right. It, it's partly cafe jazz. It's a little bit Tin Pan Alley. It's a little bit cabaret in New Orleans. These are not bad things. I spent a lot of time with this record. I suspected you would love it. Everybody loves Randy Newman, right? I just don't think anybody listens to him. Not between short people and all of those movie soundtrack scores. Uh, I I can't give this anything better than a trash it because I never want to hear it again. Wow. Greg. Unbelievable, Jim. I'm uh, I'm shocked, although not surprised, I suppose, because I know that you're a contrarian and uh, this I, is I'm the most being, contrary I, of your of your reviews. And call, I, call me a Philistine, if uh, you will, but I have no joy in this record. I think there's a lot of joy in in what Newman does. He, there's there's also a lot of darkness. I, I would say that you speak for a lot of people. I mean, the reason this guy's not a huge commercial success <laughs> is for those reasons that you exactly say. Yeah, people don't like him. Yeah. Uh, he is a cult figure at best, but. I, I think he's he's a great one. I uh, don't like certain Randy Newman records or songs per se, but I do like this one quite a bit. The guy's seventy three years old, and I feel like he's uh, almost reinvented himself in some ways with songs like "The Great Debate" and "Brothers," which are almost like mini plays in which he's playing multiple but, characters. But that's in those the songs. other genre I left out. I hate Broadway musicals. It is, tunes. but if there if there were more Broadway musicals with this kind of panache, I would have loved the genre much more than I already do. To me, he is one of those guys that has a great ear for despicable characters. He impersonates them in his songs, and he does such a great job of being true to their voice. I mean, Putin was a brilliant song. I mean, Putin is a song and dance man. It, it, it really is is that. I mean, who else would, would this character be but but some kind of cartoon figure? Well, I mean, and and Newman you, gives him exactly what he deserves. When you say that, that sounds like a great idea, but when you listen to it, it is not. I, what He's coming out of a tradition, to me, of three main influences. Uh, Mose Allison, who had that sort of laconic, drawling yeah. uh, fluidity about his piano playing and his singing. I love the Mose Allison. Alan Toussaint, you know, he's a big uh, big New Orleans guy. Uh, Randy Newman spent a lot of time in New Orleans as a kid. You can hear that New Orleans shuffle 
in yeah. a lot of his piano playing. Alan Toussaint and was another one of our Newman. favorite guests ever. I love Alan Toussaint. And there's another Newman that is Who? a huge influence. Uh, Seinfeld? Al- Alfred E. Newman, the uh, oh, cover no. boy <laughs> on Mad Magazine. That smile oh, and that I, sort of I, twinkle in his I, eye I, and the I, idea of, like, I can't be bothered with you ignoramuses. You know, it, it, it's sort of that sort of level of satire. But then... Those heartbreak ballads, She Chose Me, Lost Without You, Wandering Boy, those are beautiful songs about failed guys. And I think Randy Newman, in some ways, sees himself, you know, in that light. Like, he, you know, I haven't done all I, I hope to do as, as a man, as a, as a father, as a husband. And some of those flaws are, are revealed in heartbreaking fashion. I don't think there's anyone else out there like him. It's a buy it record for me. As Monty Python used to say, Greg, now for something completely different. That is a little bit of a song called Lips That Bite by the group Downtown Boys making their sub-pop records debut. I fell in love with this band when I first encountered them at South by Southwest 2016, came back, raved about them on the show. They are an undeniable force of nature. The two driving forces in the band uh, was a tuba player named Joey DeFrancesco, who met uh, vocalist Victoria Ruiz while she was working at a hotel in their native Providence, Rhode Island. The group came together, put out a debut 7-inch, a full album followed on Don Giovanni Records in 2015. I loved it. It was one of my best that year, Full Communism. What are they doing? Well, they're angry. They're really angry, and they're coming at this anger with the current socio-global, political, cultural uh, environment with everything they've got, Spanish and English, mixing those two languages. This is a multi-gender, multi-sexual identity band. You name an ism, they're against it. You know, capitalism, racism, homophobia, uh, they are fighting it all, but they are doing it with tremendous good humor and undeniable momentum. And the only good saxophone in punk rock history since the mighty X-Ray Specs. That's a band uh, from the initial punk explosion in London that uh, had a lot of influence on Downtown Boys and what they're doing. It had a woman of color fronting it, Polly Styrene, who wasn't a technically great singer, but the passion was undeniable. I think Victoria Ruiz is proudly following in those footsteps. And now they're signed to Sub Pop, and they've produced this debut album, which is the best-sounding recording that they've done. Let's play a track from the record. We'll come back. We'll give our opinions. This is a song called A Wall. You don't have to think very hard to realize what wall Victoria is excoriating. Downtown Boys from the new album, Cost of Living on Sound Opinions.
That is A Wall from the new Downtown Boys record, Cost of Living, with Victoria Ruiz on lead vocals. You know, if Victoria Ruiz didn't already exist, Jim, somebody would have had to invent her. Because she's like the perfect front woman for these times. I think that's the song of the year, uh, and I'll tell you why. That song, to me, encapsulates a lot of what's going on in this country right now. I understood they wrote the song before Trump was elected, but this whole idea of barriers and separation is, a, is an important one. You know, when Victoria Ruiz hears this bilingual feminist, and she's shouting out this lyric, and when you see her there, I hope you see yourself. This whole idea that we're all human beings here. You know, that person on the other side of that wall, that's you, and you should be empathizing with her. Um, So I think that's the central message here. The choice of producer, Guy Pichotto of Fugazi, has been taken to task by certain underground people who say, why are you selling out, you know, (laughs) selling as if Fugazi was a sellout band. Fugazi, for those who don't know, famously refused to ever charge more than $5 at any show they ever played. Absolutely. But this was considered, okay, now you're into the area of overproduction. It sounds bigger (laughs) than you did before. (laughs) Nothing wrong with bigger if it's used the way this band does. And I think what Pichotto has hit on is that the rhythm section in this band is unbelievable, yeah. particularly Mary Regalado, the bass player. And again, Ruiz at the end singing, there is always a way out. Despite the fact that we are up against it constantly in this world, there is always a way out. It's a buy it record for me. It's an absolute buy it, Greg. We are reviewing this days after the sad events in Charlottesville, Virginia. I can't imagine a better antidote uh, and also inspiration. I I think it would be easy to accuse DeFrancesco and Ruiz of cashing in, uh, quote unquote, uh, on the hot topics of the fight against the alt-right, for example. Um, They're not. I mean, they, they put their money where their mouths are. You know, among the last words on the album, we hear from a poet who is exhorting us to stay beyond woke. It, it's a message that we all need right now. Couldn't be more enthusiastic. A double buy it from the two of us. So family, stay beyond woke. Stay safe. Stay bulletproof. Now we want to hear from you, the listeners. Do you have an opinion on the new records by Randy Newman or Downtown Boys? Call and leave us a message with your thoughts at 888-859-1800 or let us know via Facebook or Twitter. After a break, Jim and I share our favorite one-person bands, and later, I'll put a quarter into the Desert Island Jukebox. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Every night I just want to go out, get out of my head. Every day I don't want to get up, get out of my bed. Every night I want to lay out. And every day I want to do. But tonight I just want to stay in. you 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He is Greg Cott. We are obviously a two-person act, Greg, and have been for a long time. <laughs> but there is something in rock history about one person doing all of the singing, songwriting, instrument playing uh, on their own, in their bedroom, in their basement, ever since Les Paul started experimenting with the joys of multi-track recording. We have had a long list of artists throughout history who often have made brilliant records all by themselves. You know, Prince, Lindsey Buckingham, Roy Wood, uh, in more recent days, Bon Iver, uh, St. Vincent, Passion Pit, Toro Imoy. Um, you know, then there are also bands that were like bands on stage, but where somebody did everything themselves in the studio. The Smashing Pumpkins, famously come to mind uh, with a little help from drummer Jimmy Chamberlain uh, or LCD Sound System. Let's not forget James Murphy started out that way. So the concept of a one-person band, man or woman, uh, I think we were trying to be a little less obvious and dig a little deeper. Certainly that's the case for the first name I'm going to highlight, Emmett Rhodes. If you are a lover of power pop, you know this name, you worship at the altar of Emmett Rhodes, first made an impact in the music world in the 1960s as part of the vaguely psychedelic pop rock band The Merry-Go-Round, struck out on his own to start a solo career in the 70s. I think a lot of people probably know if they know him at all, and they're not power pop geeks, the song Lullaby, which uh, the great Wes Anderson featured on the soundtrack to Royal Tenenbaums. That is from the 1970 self-titled debut uh, by Emmett Rhodes. Um, I'm not going to play that song because it's just an acoustic guitar uh, song. On this album, very ambitious recording, Rhodes re recorded everything himself. Many instruments, a lot of different vocal parts, incredibly ambitious arrangements, a true one-man band. I think you'll hear it. Some people say it could be a little twee, but it's beautiful pop music. It makes me happy. This is the only song that charted from that self-titled Emmett Rhodes 1970 album. It's called Fresh as a Daisy on Sound Opinions. Well, if you come from heaven, you know that that's okay. Just as long as you're here to help me, it doesn't matter how long you stay. Don't you? 
Fresh as a Daisy from Emmett Rhodes, one of the pioneers of the one-man band concept, with the one-person band concept that yes. we are talking about on this show. I'm going to fast forward a few decades, Jim, to uh, Grimes, a.k.a. Claire Boucher, a uh, Vancouver artist who has been making one-woman band records for a while now. Uh, her 2012 breakthrough uh, called Visions uh, couldn't have been more lo-fi, couldn't have been more insular, was recorded in her Montreal bedroom entirely on a laptop. And uh, she created these uh, uh, catchy little tunes that played really well on a big stage. I saw her tour after this record, and she was basically up yeah. there by herself uh, doing the whole thing. Great live act. She is. She's, she's terrific. Uh, she upped the ante with Art Angels in uh, 2015. Both you and I loved that record. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in my top ten at the end of the year. And, you know, while the production quality has improved considerably, it still remains largely a self-contained record. She produced, wrote, and played most of the instruments herself. You can hear the melodies are much more insistent. The chorus is more emphatic, but it's really pop music on her own terms. Very pop, but at the same time, there's a darkness underneath. You can hear it in the song I'm going to play, Kill vs. Mame. It's a great example. She's got this cheerleader chant on top of it. These great disco beats and make some nasty, nasty lyrics. Uh, Kill vs. Mame from Grimes, the Art Angels album on Sound Opinions. Versus Maine by Grimes, a fantastic one-woman band, Greg. I'm going to go to the hip-hop realm. Obviously, uh, two turntables and a microphone. If you're fooling around with them in your basement, it is possible to be a one-person band. Divine Styler, born Mark Richardson in Brooklyn, uh, later converted to Islam, Michael Safiullah. I have played him before uh, from his incredible Spiral Walls Containing Autumns of Light album in 1992. I think we did it on the Buried Treasure Show, whatever happened mm-hmm. to this guy. And then a year later, uh, there was a new album, A Death Mask, in 2014. We reviewed it on the show. We were blown away. It was an enthusiastic double buy it. 
The Divine Styler is coming from a place in uh, Afrofuturism of uh, George Clinton and Janelle Monet and Sun Ra, this idea of spiritual transcendence through the groove. And this is a very, very religious, mystic album. Uh, you know, he played almost everything himself, uh, processing all the vocals, the guitar, the drums, the drum programming, the keyboards, got a little help here and there, but it, I would say it's a 98% one-person band record, and that's saying a lot because it is one of the densest alternative hip-hop, psychedelic hip-hop, whatever you want to say, most ambitious records in hip-hop history, I think right up there with the best of De La Soul or PM Dawn. Here is a track, we'll only be able to play part of it, because it is a nine and a half minute epic <laughs> called Heaven Don't Want Me and Hell's Afraid I'll Take Over by Divine Styler on Sound Opinions. <laughs> I scream for doors to shut me open. Your heaven revelation is mistaken. You're out if you're hoping. Gun to your arms and choking on four clothes. Heaven don't want me, and hell's afraid, hell is afraid that I will take over. Divine Styler, Heaven Don't Want Me and Hell's Afraid I'll Take Over, from the imaginatively titled Spiral Walls Containing Autumns of Light. 1992 classic, Greg. Uh, great stuff, Jim. You know, we, we are putting some real genius on display. I just admire <laughs> these people so much for what they're able to do in the studio and, and the lengths that they are able to take a, a studio uh, these days uh, and make wonderful pop music out of it. Uh, a great example of that is Todd Rundgren. He was another one of those pioneers in this area. He was uh, building a name for himself as a, not only as a performer, but as a producer and engineer in the late 60s, early 70s. And he said, you know, I really got sort of self-conscious and a little tired of, of telling all the instrumentalists in the studio how to do their stuff. You know, like, OK, I think I think I can maybe do it better or maybe you should do it this way. And he said, well, OK, for my third studio album, I'm just going to play everything myself. Yeah. And he pulled it off uh, remarkably well. In fact... The Something Anything album from 1972 is really the foundation of the, the Todd Rundgren is God cult that exists to this day <laughs> out yeah. there. there it's are people a loyal that, cult, yes. There are people that will turn out to anything that Todd Rundgren does uh, publicly uh, for decades now, and I think uh, it began here in 1972 with this record. Double album came out at that time. 
Um, he began with a drum track on, on almost every track. I interviewed him at one point, and he said, you know, I asked him how he put that album together. He said, I started from the bottom up, and then he began over, overdubbing all the other instruments on top, and, and, and there were a ton of instruments on this record, not only guitar, bass, and keyboards, but you name it, he, was, uh, he could play it. And uh, he would create a lot of the melodies uh, and the structure of the songs in the moment, it wasn't like he was writing this stuff out ahead of time. It was more a spontaneous reaction to what he had just played. Okay, this this drum track reminds me of this, and he would play a part on the guitar and then add bass, and that would sort of play off of what the guitar was doing. Um, so he, he ended up with a hugely successful album. Uh, I Saw the Light was one of the many hits from this record. Uh, there's an odd little story here attached to it. When he was finishing up the album in Los Angeles, an earthquake hit, and he decided he got spooked. He went to, mm. he went to New York to finish the album with an actual band. So Side 4 is actually a band record. But he says, to this day, I kind of wish I had made it a complete statement about just me. But I'm going to play a, a song from the, um, the solo sessions from that record. Couldn't I just tell you from Todd Rundgren and the Something Anything record on Sound Opinions. Couldn't I Just Tell You by Todd Rundgren, who also, of course, produced Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell, Greg. That's true. Coming up, we'll share more of our favorite one-man or one-woman, one-person bands. And as always, we want to hear from you. Have you got a suggestion for a great one-person band? Call and leave a message on our hotline, 888-859-1800. Later, Greg will take a trip to the Desert Island. What have you got for us, Mr. Cod? Jim, on this week's uh, Desert Island Jukebox, I'm going to play a, uh, a woman who I feel is unfairly overlooked from the 60s. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and we're going through some of our favorite one-man or one-woman bands, where one person does all of the writing, singing, and instrumentation on a record. Jim, you're up next. Greg, I'm going to do some more ancient history. Mike Oldfield, one of my all-time favorite artists that nobody else cares about. Uh, But I do. I really do. Everybody knows the opening notes of Tubular Bells, his uh, phenomenal album, uh, as it was used in The Exorcist by William Friedkin. But the story of making Tubular Bells goes beyond that. Uh, You know, Oldfield started out strongly influenced by John Renborn and Bert Jantz, those those, uh, psychedelic folkies in the UK that now inspire bands like the Decemberists. He was friends with a lot of the soft machine guys, made some music with them, and borrowed Kevin Ayer's reel-to-reel tape recorder. Sitting in his bedroom in the early 70s, Oldfield realized that if he took a little piece of cardboard and put it over the erase head, he could continually overdub instruments. And he did this ambitious pseudo-orchestral suite that he then brought to a record company. Now, this young guy with a big beard, a very hip dude, uh, said, boy, I love that. I tell you what, go into a 16-track studio and and make this as a record. And Oldfield did, but he still played everything himself. And by everything, I mean significantly everything. Spanish guitar, Lowry organ, Fender keyboard, glockenspiel. Rock and roll with glockenspiel. (laughs) Okay, and of course, plus tubular bells. Um, This record went on in 1973 when it was released to sell 16 million records. And the guy with the beard who believed in him, his name was uh, Richard Branson, and it launched Virgin Empires Mm. globally. You know, Oldfield later fell out, thought he got screwed by Branson. But there were many other great one-man band albums in Oldfield's catalog. I would also strongly recommend Amadon and Hergest Ridge. I mean, I got I got like 25 Mike Oldfield albums. He's a hero of mine. Second only to a guy he made music with, mm. Brian Eno, King. also often a one-man band. Anyway, there's only one thing you can play. It's tubular bells, but I'm not going to do the exorcist bit. I'm going to do the part at the end after Vivian Stansall of the Bonzo Dog Band. It's a one-man recording, 25 minutes each side of the record, but he had uh, Viv Stansall come in and, and be the narrator who says, <laughs> plus tubular bells. Mike Oldfield on Sound Opinions.
Tubular bells from Mike Oldfield. Uh, great stuff. I mean, people did like that stuff, Jim. You no, know, it's wonderful. <laughs> you know, I saw him play live once, and he had like yeah. 30 people on stage to do what he had done in his bedroom alone. That's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, speaking of doing things in your bedroom uh, and making great records out of it, uh, here is uh, Meryl Garbus, otherwise known as Tune Yards. This is essentially what she did for her 2009 debut album, Bird Brains. Um, she has an interesting backstory. Uh, she's basically a one-woman ukulele-playing, drum-smashing, <laughs> tour-de-force on stage. But uh, she initially was a puppeteer. That's how she yeah. got into making music. She she wrote a creepy puppet opera at one point with a ukulele and said, hey, this music thing, it's kind of cool. Uh, she was working one summer as a nanny, and after she put the uh, the child to sleep, she would go into another room plug in the ukulele, and quietly sing the songs that became her debut record. Um, so she loved this sort of lo-fi sound that she was creating, this kind of intimacy, this eerie intimacy. She added some other instruments, um, notably drums on top of that, and then put out this record as is. 4AD loved it so much that they eventually put it out and didn't change a thing about it, and her recording career was off. Now, since then, uh, Meryl Garbus has added some other instrumentation um, into her uh, band, as she has become an actual band since then. But there's nothing like the charm of that debut record, Bird Brains. Here's a track from it, Sunlight by Tune Yards on Sound Opinions. Sunlight by the great Meryl Garbus, a.k.a. Tune Yards. Greg, one of our favorite live guests ever on Sound Absolutely. Opinions. An extraordinary talent. I think very similar to Meryl Garbus is an artist I'm going to highlight from Argentina, Buenos Aires, Juana Molina. It was uh, our producer, Evan Chung, first turned me on to her. She has been recording since 1996, made sort of a breakthrough when she discovered the Boss RC20 loop station. All right. So like Garbus, she is able to layer different vocal parts of her own, different instruments, and, and create an almost orchestral uh, swirl of sound on stage with, with just a machine. 
her and mm-hmm. the machine. Uh, the interaction between her and the machine, something Kraftwerk once said, will be a perfect world when the man and the machine comes together. Uh, you know, it's hard to categorize. It's psychedelic. It's folktronica. It's ambient. It's experimental. It's just great music. There's a strong new album she has just released called Halo. Uh, that features more of a band effort on it. But her records in the 2000s, the mid-2000s, Son Undia, Wed 21, they were all just her and the machine. I'm going to play the title track from Undia in 2008's beautiful piece of work by Juana Molina on Sound Opinions. by Juana Molina. Greg, you have one more one-person band choice. What do you got? Juana Molina, quite a character. I saw her live a few times, and uh, she's a comedian as, as well as a musician. I mean, she's a real comedian. I'm envious. I never connected yeah, with her. She's wonderful. Uh, I'm going to go to Stevie Wonder, which when well, we come to uh, one-man bands, yeah. uh, you know, the template for Prince. I mean, Prince would have been an obvious choice here, but I yeah. think Prince was listening to a lot of Stevie. Uh, when he launched his career. I think people forget Stevie Wonder did so much all alone. It was incredible. Um, You know, he had the great run with Motown with hits in the 60s, but when he turned 21, he basically renegotiated his contract and said, okay, you know, I want complete artistic independence. I don't want to be under the thumb of Barry Gordy anymore. I want to just go off in the studio and do my thing. Plus, he bought himself a Moog. Yes. He, the man knows how to play his Moog, and it's all over the song I'm going to play next. He he, um, he had a run of great records as a result of this independence. So that five-album run from Music of My Mind in 1972 through Songs in the Key of Life in 1976, I would put that five-album run up against any artist mm. ever. And, and, and was basically Stevie doing a lot of the playing and writing and singing on his own. Now, he would have other musicians on certain tracks, but largely this was a one-man band concept throughout that decade. Um, I think the high point of that run was Inner Visions, the Inner Visions album in 1973. He wrote the song Higher Ground uh, very quickly, uh, a lot of inspiration flowing through Stevie's veins at that time. Apparently, the song was basically conceived, written, and recorded within a three-hour span. 
Uh, he played the clavinet, gave it a little wah sound, uh, achieved through this envelope filter pedal that he was playing. He had the Moog going on to provide the bass line and the drums. Stevie Wonder, as a drummer, Eric Clapton said he was the best drummer he'd ever seen. He, he, he had the chance to uh, play with Stevie in the 70s. He said, there's no better drummer in the world than Stevie Wonder. Uh, so you can hear uh, his, his drumming and his fluidity on the drums in this track. Higher Ground from one-man band Stevie Wonder on Sound Opinions. Ground by the great Stevie Wonder. Good one, Greg Cott. And that wraps up our discussion of great one-woman, one-man, one-person bands. If you've got an example of a great one-person band that everyone should hear, let us know. Give us a call at 888-859-1800 or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Remember, we were shipwrecked together. As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, one of us takes a trip to the desert island, pops a quarter in the jukebox, and plays you a song we can't live without. Greg, your turn. What do you got? Jim, uh, I was, uh, I, I often don't try to yell at lists, but, you know, you can't help yourself sometimes. <laughs> you yell at mine. And and a list came out uh, recently uh, listing, uh, you know, 150 great albums by female artists or, you know, female-centric bands, etc. Our colleagues at NPR and Powers. And I couldn't believe that uh, Jefferson Airplane didn't get some love mm. in that list, uh, especially because of Grace Slick. Uh, I think one of the most important voices 
uh, female voices especially uh, of the 60s and 70s. Um, and, and the voice of the summer of love, for God's sakes, yeah, you know, yeah, in yeah. San Francisco, there was no more uh, iconic band than the Jefferson Airplane. Uh, Somebody to Love and White Rabbit were huge hits in 1967. Uh, but I'm going to go to a year later in 68 and the Crown of Creation album to yeah. play my D.I.J., uh, she had a very strident voice. There was no BS in Grace Slick. No. And at the same time, in the song I'm going to play, there was a, also a sense of humor and a playfulness. She was a very versatile singer, very underrated singer. She wrote the song Lather, uh, ostensibly about her lover at the time, who was, a, uh, who was a Jefferson Airplane's drummer, Spencer Dryden. He was the first guy in the band to actually turn 30. Mm. And she was giving him kind of a hard time. Hey, you old man, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 30, don't trust anyone over 30, right? But, you know, the playfulness aside, she was trying to point out some other things in this song. First of all, she was taking this whole idea of these solemn uh, psychedelic folk ballads that were floating around and, and sort of sending them up. So she's singing in this very solemn but very childlike voice uh, about, you know, this guy turning 30. And you think, oh, this is a cliche. But then you hear these sound effects in the song, these typewriters tapping away and exploding bombs. And there's a soundtrack of screaming rock fans. And then there's a nose-blowing solo. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. And you kind of realize there's a little bit of a send-up going here. Grace is singing about the whole idea of, okay, you're turning 30. It's time to grow up and act like an adult. That is what we are led to believe. And she's basically saying, why does this guy have to give up the good parts of his childlike existence uh, for adulthood? In other words, the openness to new ideas and new experiences. Hmm. Why does that have to be sacrificed at the altar of adulthood and a mainstream life? Um, I think it's a great song. It holds up really well. I think it applies to anybody, uh, you know, dealing with adulthood to this day. Uh, Lather from Jefferson Airplane with the great Grace Slick on lead vocals on Sound Opinions. Lather was 30 years old today They took away all of his toys His mother sent newspaper clippings to him About his old friends who'd stopped being boys There was Howard C. Green Just turned 33 His leather chair waits at the bank And Sergeant Dow Jones, 27 years old, commanding his very own tank. But Lather still finds it a nice thing to do, to lie about nude in the sand. Drawing pictures of mountains that look like bumps, and thrashing the air with his hands. But wait! Lather's productive, you know He produces the finest of sound Putting drumsticks on either side of his nose Snorting the best licks in Lather 
was thirty years old today, and lather came foam from his tongue. He looked at me, eyes wide and plainly say, "Is it true that I'm no longer young?" And the children call him famous, what the old men call insane. And sometimes he's so nameless that he hardly knows what game to play, which words to say. And I should have told him, no, you're not old. And I should have let him go on. Lather by the Jefferson Airplane. Greg Cott digging real deep for his Desert Island jukebox pick. What do we have on the show next week, Greg? Jim, we have an in-depth interview with one of the most influential underground bands of the last 40 years, the Melvins. Good stuff. As always, Sound Opinions was produced by Brendan Banizak, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and our intern, Isabella Martin. You didn't try to call me why didn't you try, didn't you try, didn't you know I was lonely? No matter who I take home, I keep on calling your name. And you... On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. So hi, this is Heather from Maryland, and I'm calling about the Buried Treasures episode. There is a Buried Treasure I don't know if you know about. It's a song that is from the Proto-Men. If you listen to the song, The Hounds, from Act Two, Father of Death, you will find that it is a song that you have to play at top volume. And once you learn the words, scream at the top of your lungs along with Really incredible. Thank you. Greg, this is Roe from Portland, Oregon. Um, I was calling with a buried treasure from uh, a local band called Eyelid, which is a super group of sorts from Portland. They have members of uh, the Decemberists, Sprinkler and other local bands, but they've uh, come up with a really great new album, and it's got uh, some wonderful guitar interplay, kind of a bit of an R.E.M. thing, very melodic, so uh, I recommend you check it out. Thanks. Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Kenny Pelling from Boulder, Colorado. Got a... Uh, very treasure for you. So I was in a coffee shop a while back. It's one of these grungy rock and roll places, and this rockin' song by a female-led punk band started playing. There was a band called Betty Blowtorch, fronted by a woman named Bianca Butthole. Yes, I said Bianca Butthole. That's a song, Love Slash Hate. One of my favorite top punk songs of all time. I had never heard it until last year, and I listen to it almost every day for a couple of months just because it is so rockin'. All right, thanks, guys.
Yeah, this is Eric Flowers. I'm just calling to talk about the Wawa segment. Listening over the years of all the people that use Wawa pedals and those different ways they use it, but one in particular, the way Jimi Hendrix used it on the album uh, Band of Gypsies, the, the song Who Knows. I've never, ever seen anybody use it to the extent that he used it. It's great sounding. Anyway, thanks. Love hearing you. Peace and love. This is Ralph from Elkins Park, Pennsylvania. You had asked about songs that we thought about when it came to Wawa. The song that immediately came to mind was Willie the Pimp by Frank Zappa from his Hot Rats album. I can still remember sitting in my dorm room in college listening to that and especially toward the end of the song where it goes, Anyway, that's it. Thanks. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.